Well, what's that uh, phrase, you know, use the carrot and the stick to motivate people? Well, in this country, all we've had is stick and no carrot. Well, uh, to be frank with you, uh, we could uh, number hundreds of fa failed policies because it's hard to think about anything he does that actually works properly. Scott Morrison is the sort of person who just is in his element when it's all about the soundbite and not at all about the substance. Well, welcome to the second episode of Deconstructing ScoMo, the good source podcast promoting the book Deconstructing ScoMo by Rocco Loyacono and Augusto Zimmerman, who join me now, along with Professor of Economics at the University of New South Wales, Gigi Foster. Welcome, everyone. Great to be here. Caught Good you drinking out of that uh, intelligence developing right. mug, Augusto. Uh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Gigi, thank you for joining us in this episode. Can you please tell us a little bit about who you are, your qualifications, uh, where you've come from, and why you think Deconstructing ScoMo is a book that every Australian should read. <laughs> sure. So you may hear from the accent that I am not born and raised in Australia, although I am a naturalized citizen, but I was born in the US and I studied um, ethics, politics and economics when I was in university before I did my PhD in economics. So I'm an economist who has a kind of broad view of what economics is and understands it in the context of the social science disciplines as a whole and kind of the broad pantheon of human endeavor and what we are trying to achieve when we build our institutions and, um, and set up systems uh, that can help us to get the most for ourselves out of the scarce resources that we're given on this earth. And so I guess my, my background is a little unusual. A lot of people think of economics as really just about money, banking, exchange rates, that sort of thing. But my interest is much more on the microeconomic side and in terms of understanding human behavior and motivation and understanding how people behave in groups. So some people have called right. me a behavioral economist. I, I study things like power, loyalty, um, networks, uh, you know, group influence and dynamics. And I've studied those things for almost two decades now. And so at the beginning of COVID, I was very lucky to have already had all of this understanding in my head and, and be doing research in those areas. And those are exactly the sorts of phenomena you need to understand in order to understand what happened during the COVID era, which has been just the most catastrophic ball drop in terms of policymaking that I've seen, um, certainly in my in my career. And so when I saw the Deconstructing ScoMo book, I was, uh, I was enthused partly because I, I found it just refreshing to see authors actually look at what a politician had been saying and doing and try to paint a, a comprehensive picture of who that person was based on what he had been saying and doing rather than just the, the sort of pot shots and, and playing gotcha that you get in the media. Here are a couple of academics, you know, really trying to get a grip on who was this person. And I think it's very positive to do that. It's a good model, a role model for the rest of the citizens of Australia, because if, if we are not going to be the ones to take responsibility for understanding our politicians and voting in the ones we think are, are best for us, then who will? It's our, it's our job to do that. So. Absolutely. Um, Rocco, let's uh, bring you into the conversation. Um, in the understanding of uh, modelling of, of human behaviour, um, how exactly do you think 
Australia, the various prime minister, or various, there's only one prime minister, but various premiers and the prime minister have done in understanding human behaviour, incentives and and disincentives um, with regards to COVID policy over the last few years. Well, what's that uh, phrase, you know, use the carrot and the stick to motivate people? Well, in this country, all we've had is stick and no carrot. Um, that's what it's been. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no idea of convincing people and, and trying to take the country with you. I mean, you look at, you look at other prime, the great prime ministers in, in the history of this country, Howard, Hawke, uh, Menzies, um, you know, it's, and all throughout this country's history, um, people may have not agreed with everything uh, that those prime ministers and the policies that those prime ministers tried to implement. But they saw that these prime ministers had a vision, they had an idea, and what they were trying to implement was for the best, for the country's best interests in terms of not just um, politically, but also from a, from a long-term point of view to also say, well, look, we need to become better as a country in this area or that area. We, we need to, we need to incentive, we need to create incentives for people to work, to start up businesses, to start families. And these are the things that build countries. These are things that, these are nation building. Um, and People, politicians like that had the courage of their convictions to say, look, this is what I think is the best thing for the country. It's going to be what we're going to implement. And I'm, I'm explaining what I'm doing and I'm going to take the people with me. Um, Hawke did that. Howard did that. Menzies did that. None of our premiers, uh, and definitely not the prime minister, um, the last two prime ministers that we've had, um, in fact, I reckon none of the, since 2007, we haven't, and Abbott never really got a chance. Um, have really implemented policies and explained to the people, look, this is why we're doing it and we're going to take you with us on this journey. Mm. It's just we're doing it and that's it, like it or lump it. And especially in the last two years, as I said, it's just been all stick and no carrot. No no thought, no idea of, look, long-term vision is just this is what we're going to do because, the, hey, the, the bureaucrats tell us it's what's going to be done and it's what the modelling says has got to be done, so we're going to do it. No yep. No thought. And, um, Gigi, I think on a previous podcast you made a, a comparison to what was going on in Prohibition in America. Um, same kind of thing, just this tunnel vision for one particular thing at the cost of everything else rather than taking an overall long-term view. Um, Gigi, I'm interested in that comparison that Rocco alluded to where you compare uh, the, the policy of premiers and prime minister over the last two years in Australia to the uh, the failures of the prohibition policies um, in America. First of all, tell me why prohibition uh, is considered a failure in America and the comparisons there are to the way governments have handled COVID policy in the last few years. Sure. So um, prohibition, for those audience members who don't know it, is essentially or was a movement to ban the distribution and um, basically sale of alcohol in the United States. Um, it, was, uh, it was kind of growing in strength for quite a couple of decades at least before it really got legs in the 1920s. And you may remember, and maybe if you've seen The Great Gatsby, you remember seeing the speakeasy bars and whatnot. Speakeasies were a reaction to prohibition in the sense that they were places where people could enjoy alcohol. And, um, and of course, they were frequented by the rich, uh, the people who actually had networks and could make that sort of underground um, uh, resistance movement sort of a reality. 
Um, but it actually culminated in eventually legal protection for um, for that position, for, you know, anti-alcohol position. So things were changed in the Constitution. I mean, it was a very big deal. Um, and the problem with it, with it is that exactly as Rocco said, it was an, a movement that was focused on one evil thing, supposedly, which was alcohol. And anything in the society that was perceived to be a problem would be pinned like a tail on the donkey onto alcohol. Now, that's a very, very dangerous path to go down because we know that life is complex. There are many different aspects, dynamics, um, resources, things that, that are difficult to manage as individuals, as groups, all of which can contribute to many of our social ills. And so taking one ill, like say today, maybe inequality or climate change or God knows whatever other thing is the, the cause du jour and blaming that on one particular issue is mm. just, you know, that's that's unfortunately, that's the dynamic that I worry about. And I worry about that in relation to not just COVID, but also now people who are vaccine free being the scapegoats, just as we've seen, for example, with the witch hunt period that um, the, you know women were the scapegoat for many of the weird things that were being observed in Salem. Um, <clears throat> that's that's just a very bad human trait to, to, to sort of move in that direction. And so we've we've seen that same kind of crowd dynamic with a single obsession, the tendency to, without evidence, connect a whole bunch of different bad things to this supposed scourge, whether it's alcohol or, or COVID or anything else, and then to take policy on the back of that, to make policy recommendations, to actually start putting down you know, regulations, mandates, laws, whatever they are, and thereby restricting the freedoms of the population to, to handle the supposed threat in a much more proportionate way. So since March 2020, I have been saying very loudly on any channel that would have me, that lockdowns were the wrong response to COVID. They were an overreaction. They were not actually logically connected to managing the COVID threat in a humane way that minimized human damage. In fact, instead of minimizing human damage, we have arguably almost maximized it, according to you know what I've seen here in Australia. We've just enacted in intensely destructive policies that have destroyed mm. life, liberty, and, and happiness for people. That's not a democracy that I want to live in. That's not a society that, um, you know, promotes classic liberal values. Uh, and I think that's what we need to discover in Australia is we need to rediscover enlightenment principles, basically, you know, the idea of uh, weighing up different opinions and continuing to have a skeptical uh, inquiring attitude about anything we do um, and and trying to put in put in place policies only that have some kind of logical backing for them rather than those that just sound good and will make a good sound bite. And unfortunately, as demonstrated in Deconstructing SCOMO, Scott Morrison is the sort of person who just is in his element when it's all about the sound bite and not at all about the substance. And, and that's one of the things about the book that really comes through very, very clearly. Mm. Yeah, very good. Uh, Augusto. We, we see, as Gigi described, that there is uh, been a singular focus um, in the last two years by premiers and prime minister that uh, there's only one game in town, and that's defeating COVID. Uh, and policy has neglected all other areas of uh, social impacts, behaviour and, and consequences, economic, financial, mental health, etc., can you list for us briefly, you've, you've discussed a lot of these and, and broken them down, uh, critically analysed a lot of Scott Morrison's policies over the, the last two years in particular. 
can you name perhaps your top one or two uh, policy failures that have just completely failed to understand human behavior? Well, uh, to be frank with you, uh, we could uh, number hundreds of fa failed policies because it's hard to think about anything he does that actually works properly. But um, one of the worst blunders was definitely to create the national cabinet, that it's not a constitutional uh, body, and it has been used by the premiers to uh, acquire uh, so much power. And the power that should be sometimes exercised by the federal government is now being uh, uh, executed and carried by the states and the state premiers in particular. And, and then Andrews, for instance, even came to the point of saying that uh, human rights are not uh, important because you are facing um, these uh, uh, allegedly very terrible uh, crisis and, and virus that was actually aggravated by the mismanagement of the crisis, not only by uh, Scott Morrison, but uh, also by the premiers. With his, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, consent, if I can put it like that. Even the elections here in, in Western Australia uh, resulted in the decimation of the, of the Liberal Party. And the reason as to why the Liberal Party was decimated is because uh, he was very uh, empowering of the premiers. The premiers were absolutely supported by him from the very beginning. And uh, another blunder as a result of this is the undermining, uh, considerable undermining of Section 92 of the Australian Constitution, saying that uh, the borders must be absolutely free. I can't think about something more clear than that. And then you have the High Court give an interpretation that absolutely free. Now it's not absolutely not free. It's relative. I don't know how this can actually be possible. It can be possible because the Prime Minister is uh, entitling and empowering uh, the premiers to behave in such a manner. So he's claiming credit for these uh, destructive actions. And as I say in the book with uh, uh, Rocco, there, there are mechanisms available to uh, restore the rights and freedoms that have been stolen from us uh, by these uh, dreadful rulers that we have in Australia. And that is, uh, in particular, uh, the provision regarding external affairs in combination with inconsistency. So we could have a, a solution for the problem. What I don't know, I don't appreciate, I actually abhor is uh, a prime minister who claims to be unable to do things that, uh, uh, that are quite easily solvable. So we try to expose uh, him for not only a very incompetent ruler, but also for trying to deceive the population in this country. Yep, all, all very fair observations. Thank you very much. Gigi, um, should I call you Gigi or Professor Gigi, Professor Foster? Gigi's fine. Gigi, uh, just as we wrap up this episode uh, about the implications of Scott Morrison on the, the national decisions and, and policies and behaviours that you've observed, um, tell me, describe for us what you think and, and appreciate in this book in the context of Australian education system and uh, critical thinking when it comes to elections, 
uh, our preferential voting system, and uh, what value a, a critical analysis like this brings to uh, an essential debate before the federal election? Well, two of the sections of the book that most resonated with me in that sense, because I could see them being so useful in an educational context, were the sections that were talking about sex, uh, sexism and racism, because they were so well thought through, they were so well balanced and well argued. And instead of the push button response that you get often on um, the progressive side of politics in particular, that says we must protect this group with a little box around it and this group with a little box around it and this group with a little box around it. What is shown so beautifully in this book is that that is a dead end strategy if what you really want is to create a tolerant and free society where everyone has a seat at the table and has a right to speak and has the right to uh, to use their resources as they see fit, which is, of course, the way that economists like to think that society should, should be in order to promote a healthy market system, which creates the best outcomes for everyone. You do need strong institutions in the background, but you absolutely need that individual freedom for everyone, not just for little groups that have boxes around them. So I really appreciated the discussions um, about that and about sexism as well, um, because it was just so refreshing to see authors actually tackle those incredibly important issues with a critical mind and a thoughtful approach. And I could see those, those discussions being used maybe as excerpts, for example, in um, high schools where the, the brief was, okay, we need to talk about, you know, what is racism and, and what is a way in which we can try to minimize racism in our societies? And of course, some of the more push button responses that children will come out with would, would say, oh, well, we need to protect the, you know, X, Y's, the Z's, the A's, the B's, the C's. But, you know, to have this as an alternative uh, where you're really thinking about all people and the health of all society going forward, I think is, is very valuable. And I certainly, as an educator myself, I um, appreciate any such, uh, you know, tidbits of, of, of kind of a role model for how to think about uh, major important issues that the society has to grapple with. And we have to grapple with them together because you know, this sort of echo chamber, divisive, segregated politics is just not, also not a winning strategy. Uh, it's, it's a divisive way to think. We have to be able to reach across the aisle, uh, particularly after the destruction of the COVID period. We are going to have to reach the people who have betrayed us in some way and, and work yeah. together with many people who have been complicit during this period. Yeah. Uh, eventually right we can't just we're not going to secede i don't think uh so so how does that work well you have to start understanding that everyone deserves a seat at the table and we all need to listen to each other much more than we've been doing before mm -hmm. rocco augusto Gigi, is there anything else you think we should include in final thoughts well i think there are two books that everybody should read one of them is deconstructing scomo and the other one is this one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold it up to the camera again and give, sure. it a, give us a plug. So this is The Great COVID Panic, which is a co-authored book by myself, Paul Friders, and Michael Baker. Um, and we use this book to, it's not super thick, but you can see it's you know somewhat thick. Uh, we use it to try to explore and understand what happened um, during the COVID period. The subtitle is What Happened, Why, and What to Do Next. We also have some solutions in there for trying to reignite some of our 
somewhat dormant democratic systems here in Australia and elsewhere in the world. So if you're interested in the crowd dynamics we were speaking about earlier, like with the witch hunts on prohibition and COVID, we've got a whole section on crowds and, and sections on many other aspects of, uh, of the tragedy that's occurred. Well, that's it for episode two of the Deconstructing ScoMo podcast. Head over to deconstructingscomo.com.au to grab your copy right now and make sure you get one or two for some uh, people who might need their rusted on liberal thinking somewhat fine-tuned. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. <laughs>